Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon. And today, particularly in light of the most recent COVID-19 developments, we want to talk about retail. So our first guest of the week joining us remotely is Florence Stanley, Executive Director of Retail at CBRE. Florence, thank you for joining me today. Good morning, Carol. How are you? Good, thank you. So, Florence, as I mentioned there, you know, retail is something that we don't touch on often on the show. Um, I'm, I, I don't really know why that is. You know, we tend to talk about uh, offices or we tend to talk about residential or, you know, uh, the PRS. And, you know, it, but it, at the moment, retail is something we're hearing about a lot. Uh, particularly as we're currently in level three at the time of recording this. And certainly the figures are suggesting um, a move to a higher level. So what we want to do today is really get an understanding of how retailers are faring at the moment. So look, you're executive director of retail at CBRE. So together with your team, you're well placed to have a good overview of the current marketplace for retailers. So in your experience and the experience of your team, how are retailers finding things at the moment? Well, Carl, it's a good question and, and it really is rather interesting. And I suppose what I would say that it is constantly in a state of flux and constantly changing. And there are a number of things that are happening, I suppose, during the original lockdown period from the beginning of March till May, for uh, only essential services uh, could trade. So you had the the chemists, the pharmacies, and the supermarkets only trading. And everything else, their doors were shut. And that was extremely difficult from a number of different points of views. It was the fact that they were closed and they would have had the stock in for that period would have to sit in the shops, and then they had new stock coming in for the season when they were to open up again. And uh, and there, nobody knew what was going to happen. And when the shops started opening up, the, some of the stock had gone out of season. So there, there, so there are many, many different effects. And, the, and it all started in March. Since then, we have had shops opening up trading, doing trying to get more online, increase their online presence, uh, and doing everything they can to ensure they continue selling as well as they can. That can be very difficult for the individual traders too. So it's it, it really is a little bit of a minefield, both for landlords and tenants. Yeah, there's there's so many distinct elements to this. And, you know, in terms of the move online, you know, in a way, I feel that retail almost uh, the woes of retailers at the moment have almost been shunned on the basis of, well, you know, this is just an acceleration of trends that were already in place. Um, and I'm not sure that that's completely accurate. Yes, you know, we were seeing a trend uh, towards online, but we were also seeing it a trend towards, you know, the experiential um, retail experience. And that's something that, 
you know, we haven't been able to do or see um, in terms of social distancing. So even those places that have opened up, they're opened up. Um, but the experience of shopping isn't particularly a pleasant one, you know, in terms of queuing outside and and working in zones. And, you know, these are all things that have a huge impact on retailers. And, you know, it's interesting. I don't think I'd fully considered even the stock implications because, but as you say it, of course, that makes sense. Um, so how is that impacting even on things like, you know, forget about paying for stock and not having income coming in. Um, actually, in terms of the logistics of storing stock, you know, would retailers have that amount of storage? Um, no, and that, that actually is a, a, a genuine problem because they, while they would have storage, they would have storage for the delivery of the stock coming in. Then it would go on the floor mm -hmm. and, and new stock would be coming in. Um, at the, you know, I suppose the, it's a constant churn. It's a constant churn. And, and it needs to and, be. And it absolutely has to be because also the profit isn't that high. And people say that online uh, sales are going up and, and the whole way of shopping will change. Online sales are going up, but certainly not to the extent of 100% or 75% or even 50%. So whilst they are increasing, they're never going to take over from people's need to get out of their house, of their workplace, go into stores, meet other people, greet other people actually sample the products but depending where you know if it's a perfume you're going to smell it if it's an aftershave you're buying for your partner you you know whatever whatever it is it needs, yeah. the, it yeah, needs I, I, the feel it needs the touch it needs the people interaction and it's just not we as humans are not going to just live by doing everything online in the solidarity of our home yeah, no, and, and actually, that's a really good point. Is that there's some products that just don't lend themselves well to an uh, to online retailing, you know, and and there there are many examples of that. But I think maybe what's interesting is that we're seeing um just in the run up to the budget, and we've heard a lot of the commentary coming out. And one thing we know is that um deposits, bank deposits, are at an almost all time high for the past uh, decade, and that's because people clearly are not shopping, whether it's online or offline. You know, people are very nervous that even if their uh, livelihoods have not been um, uh, adversely impacted to date, they're very nervous that it will be. So even those whose jobs haven't been impacted, you know, there's a, there's a, a very keen awareness that they may well be over the next number of months. So uh, people aren't spending to the same amount. Um, so how is that likely? I mean, we're, we're facing into Halloween, but that's almost like a kind of a, a secondary holiday, but we're getting very close to Christmas. How is this likely to impact retailers or how are they even, how are they even planning for Christmas? God, that, that, that. I mean, obviously, they're doing their best to attract the customers to the stores. But as you said at the start of the program, there is problems with the number of people they can let in, the queuing uh, systems. If it's fashion, you can't try on the clothes, etc. So the physical experience is different. What is interesting is the toy shops at the moment, their sales are up. It's not that their sales are up, but people are worried that the restrictions be could become 
uh, could increase, that it could increase to level four, could increase to level five, and particularly where there's young children involved, they want to make sure they get their shopping done. As for other uh, areas of retail, a lot of the retailers are worried that people are just going to say this Christmas, we're not going to celebrate it in the same way. You know, families may not be able to come together. Uh, there won't be all the as much uh, gift giving, etc. So, so the mm -hmm. retailers genuinely are concerned that their sales are going to be right down. And I think with the amount of social distancing, even if you come to something as basic as you're working in an office and you do a Chris Kindle, that's not going to happen because you're not going to be in the office. You, you know, yeah, that's you know, very true. So. You know, these these are little things. And, you know, I suppose Christmas is one of those times that, you know, we all know no matter how well you prepare in advance or no matter how many gifts you think you're going to do, you know, when you're going to somebody's house, you pick up extras just for the time of year that, that's in it. And they're the kind of things that absolutely are not likely to be happening. And, you know, it, I, when I saw the news there uh, about two weeks ago, I think there was queues outside of Smith's and uh, Ken Black's and similar toy retailers. And I couldn't believe when I saw those cues, but actually, of course, it makes sense. Um, you know, Santa's definitely going to need a bit of help this year. And, you know, so I understand the pressure that um, parents and, and families are under. And of course, it makes sense that they would pre be preparing in advance. But then I, I suppose we need to compare and contrast that because the money being spent then in September, while it might be quite early, is actually the Christmas money and Christmas budget. So actually, that's money that might not be spent in December. It, it, very possibly it won't be spent in December. But the other thing that won't be spent in December is even if you think of the amount of people who would buy more clothes for going out at Christmas time, that you know, the party mm. wear, the shoes, the bags, the accessories, you know, the men, the scarves, everything. People aren't going yeah. out as much. There are not the occasions on. So that in turn is also affecting the fashion industry. So it's 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 yeah. widespread. And then you have the, the restaurants and the cafes and you're not going to have the Christmas lunches and, and the groups of friends meeting up or the workers meeting up or the tennis club or the golf club or whatever it is when everybody makes a big effort to get together with the groups that they're in, be it the choir, be it even, even in, if you look at the churches, uh, you know, the coffee shops that are attached to churches, they're not doing the business. You know, so it's, it's all kinds of retail. Yeah. Yeah. I and you look, your team are directly dealing with both retailers and yes. landlords. So look, let's, let's talk about landlords for a moment. Um, Look, I suppose, first of all, in terms of rents being received, um, even on an anecdotal basis, you know, where where are you seeing the level of rents being um, actually being collected? By OK, landlords? so that, that is really it is very interesting. What we are finding is while there may be a delay in the collection of rents, during this time, landlords and tenants very much have to work together. So for the period that um, that the shops were closed, I suppose that started it, that you would have had a lot of tenants looking for assistance from the landlord. So there was negotiation where we acted both on behalf of the landlords and on behalf of the tenants to try 
to come up with a solution that worked for both. So there has to be on both sides give and take. And the, the, the tenants actually had to make their figures available, which they wouldn't normally do to show how they were trading. And But that has continued since they have opened. So say the majority of uh, retailers were back trading by mid-June. That has continued, that their trade may have been up initially, but it, in, in some sectors, in other sectors, it never mm-hmm. went back to what it was. So if the tenants are prepared to supply the their turnover figures, then the landlords generally, not all of them, I will say not all of them, but generally will yeah. try to work with the tenant because it is in both parties' interest to be able to continue trading and not to end up with the store closing. Yeah, and look, that that absolutely makes sense, uh, Florence. But I, I suppose really something that always strikes me, whether we're having this conversation in terms of residential or commercial landlords, you know, there's almost an expectation that landlords will show some level of forbearance. But uh, in most cases, the landlords have their own debt um, commitments. So uh, are landlords, by and large, are they in a position to show any kind of forbearance? And are they... Are they in turn receiving forbearance That's from their exactly funders? That's exactly what I was going to say to you. It is a case of the landlords have to be able to talk to their funders, be it the banks or the various investment trusts that they are with. And where they can, they also will work hand in hand, I suppose, pretty much like the banks with uh, residential uh, um, mortgages gave a certain amount of easing. So it, it it is all about everybody working together. And it's not happening across the board. And it's of course it's not. And we have seen a number of the international retailers close their doors. Um, you know, the likes of uh, Monsoon and Laura Ashley. And I mean, they've shut up shop. And if you look at the likes of New Look, they're currently undergoing... Um, uh, discussions with various landlords and they're in the courts to see if whether they continue trading or not. So if you look at the international retailers, it can be slightly different to uh, I suppose the, the home brand or, or the smaller retailers. Um, okay. Um, is, it, is it possible that there might be an opportunity there then maybe for smaller brands to get into retail um, going forward at more affordable uh, levels? (laughs) That's always possible, yes. And what is interesting, I suppose, is that the the suburbs and the towns are seeing an increase in their business and they are getting more uh, local businesses opening and trading well. Um, and, And so whilst the cities are feeling the pain, you will he- have heard a number of uh, different retailers being interviewed around the country that uh, this is working very well for them because, you know, there's more people in the area, they're, they're not travelling into work, they're living locally, so this is the kind of your coffee shop, uh, local local restaurants, etc. So, yeah. 
Okay. I, I think that's really interesting because that just lends itself to the wider conversation about, um, you know, the impact of if there, if we're likely to embracing uh, work from home or work from a, a hub and spoke uh, style situation, um, you know, more going forward. And there's going to be less people traveling into these H, HQ type arrangements, uh, office arrangements in the city. How is that going to impact on city retailers? You know, it's it's part of a much wider conversation in terms of our urban planning for our um, towns and villages outside of Dublin. But just if we could return for a moment there in terms of you touched on something really interesting there. You said for the, almost uh, the first time retailers are actually having to show their figures in terms of negotiation. And I'm sorry to jump topics here, but it's actually just because I think this is particularly interesting in the UK we're hearing a lot about a move towards turnover based rents for retailers Um, is that a conversation that's happening in Ireland just because we're at the point where half of the half of the task is being done the retailers are now showing figures to landlords so is that uh, is that do you think something very temporary or are you know is there a a, a larger conversation about the introduction over uh, the introduction of turnover based rents (laughs) in Ireland that's actually really is an interesting question. I, I think possibly 20 years ago, I um, was involved with the Society of Chartered Surveyors and we published a book on turnover rents uh, and the advantages of saying both for landlords and tenants and how they would work. And we explained it in quite a bit of detail because in the States, Mm-hmm. All leases are done on turnover rents and they're short term leases, like they're 10 year leases. It has not caught on in the UK or Ireland. And the reason for that is it's twofold. Landlords don't want to take the risk with the new business of having a rent that is turnover based. They may agree to a base rent with a turnover top up. And if the retailers are going to trade very well, they're not going to want to share their turnover with the landlords. So it, it's it's a funny, it's a funny one. And with startups, there has to be, for landlords, as you say, they have to raise their funding. It's an investment mm. property. It's not mm-hmm. a charity. So they would be nervous as well with a new startup of going into a uh, turnover based so yes it is certainly happening more now and will it continue I I don't know I thought 20 years ago it was going to come in it is very few who are pay rent on a turnover basis yeah, it, 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 like, I, I, from a from a myself almost a layperson in terms of understanding how retail works, you know that to me would seem like it would be almost discriminatory against any startups coming in, or um, you would end up with almost uh, areas that are ultra exclusive to the point of exclusion. Um, and I, I'm not sure how good that is for cities either. You know, so and, and again. I, I think it's interesting when you say that actually retailers then run into the situation where when their when their turnover gets high, they they don't want to share to the same to the same degree. So it, it's an interesting one. It's it's almost like um it, it's almost like buyers and sellers of of residential properties. You know, everybody wants 
to to sell at the top and buy at the bottom. But, it, you know, you That's can't right. have it both and, ways. And Ireland and the UK seem to be much more in that frame of mind than, as I said, the States or Canada or indeed Europe, because Europe are also on mm. the 10 year leases and would be much more open to turnover. And I suppose that goes back to our legacy in Ireland and our and our history about, you know, property is prime, own your own property. I mean, property was always considered as bricks and mortar. It's safe. It's it's an essential to have. And I mean, that would go back to 18, whatever, 45, you know, it's a thing that is ingrained in the Irish. It's funny. It is funny. It's 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 interesting. You could talk yeah, about it for for hours and not come up with a solution. But I suppose really to answer your question at the moment, yes, some a, a bigger number than normal of retailers are making their figures available to landlords so they can work together and that for the landlords to. Uh, satisfy the funders they need these figures okay and you know i i think that there uh, over the coming months and even years i think that we're going to be maybe discussing more the outcomes of whether it's mediation or commercial court uh, proceedings but I, I i genuinely feel it's too early to have that conversation right now but actually before we finish up i would maybe like just to get your opinion like do you think the retail sector is responding well to the challenges or i mean is it is it floundering and waiting no, it's to be rescued it would not be fair to say it's floundering and waiting to be rescued the retailers really are working very very hard to make it work um and the government are working with them and the landlords are landlords are doing as much as they can because Everybody is infected in this. Everybody. It's across the board. Everybody is feeling uh, the pain. And I suppose when we talk about retailers, I would also be including restaurants in that because we would represent a lot of the, again, on behalf of both landlords and tenants, the restaurateurs, you know, and and they have their own their own problems. I mean, with level three now, they can only have of course. 15 people. And 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 they're doing it, but how can you make money out of that? But they have to keep the business yeah. going and the custom going, and they're all getting uh, booked out. So, um, and just one other thing I'd like to say, Claire, is I don't believe cities will die and everybody going forward will work from home. I do believe there is a place people need the social interaction they you know at the start people were saying this is great i love working from home and i'm saving on travel time but as it goes on longer people are missing the interaction they're missing the divide between going to work picking up your coffee on the way in etc so there's there's a lot of unknown but i don't think we're right to say you know i don't think the office is dead and i don't think the re marketplace is dead I don't think everything is going to go online we as a nation we're people we need people we need to be out we need to be interacting and and, and getting out of our homes <laughs> yeah absolutely I think that's a really key trend we're seeing since September you know in, in July we were just marvelling at what we were able to do from our homes using technology by September 
you know, definitely cabin fever had set in and people who could be out and about wanted to be out and about. And Florence, I'm I'm very conscious that at the time of us having this discussion and this show airing on Dublin South FM, uh, the budget announcement yes. is being read out. Um, so obviously nobody has a crystal ball, but what would you like to see in terms of uh, well, supporting the retail there, sector? There is... The talk, and I mean, we're going to hear very shortly about the VAT rate being reduced and and that will make a big difference. And so, you know, mm-hmm. p- particularly across the food, the food sector, the, you know, the food and industry. And one of the things about retail and shopping centres, I mean, shopping centres used to be you just went to shop. And if you look at shopping centres now, you go for the experience. So 25% of the floor space may be given over to food juice and cinemas. And, you know, so it's, it's changed. It has changed. But the fact that if they drop mm-hmm. the fat rate, that will make a, a, a big difference. But as you say, Claire, it is changing daily. I mean, we honestly don't know. Are we going to go into a bigger lockdown? What is going to happen at Christmas time? It's good in the sense that like any of the retailers that I speak to are saying they will be fair to do level three now and level four because November is such a big month for them. That's when they do their most business always. November and the beginning of December. So they would rather that we're in lockdown now that people can be out buying uh, in November, beginning of December. But again, that's something none of us. Yeah, have any I, I look. Over. No, absolutely. And, you know, as you rightly pointed out, it's it's changing weekly and daily. Um, but look, um, in terms of how the retailers are are um, experiencing uh, and coping with the the pandemic and rising to the challenge. That's really heartening to hear. So, look, I I would love to return to this conversation again in a few months, um, you know, and maybe see what the run up to Christmas or indeed the the, uh, New Year sales is going to be like. So that was Florence Stanley, Executive Director of Retail at CBRE. Um, Again, Florence, thank you for joining us today. We need to take a quick break now. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself Carol Tallon You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com So I'm delighted to be joined by a a guest of the show Gary MacDonald from Limitless Insight Gary, you're very welcome back to the show Thanks Carol Um, So Gary, you might just remind people um, about Limitless Insight and, and the offering that you provide yeah, Limitless Insights provide a location-aware data platform for retailers, and that allows uh, retailers to connect their customers in in store in the physical store to their transactions, and then actually send out promotions and offers based on their previous purchasing history. Okay, and how is that different to say, you know, maybe some of the loyalty store card programs and things like that? I think it, it's probably a complementary product. Uh, again, I'll start off with my background. I worked for Musgraves for over 10 years as their development director and ran a number of super values in Northern Ireland for over 10 years, building it up into a multi-million pound business. And during those times in the store, even though I knew every customer by name, I couldn't actually connect the customer to their transaction in store. 
And even with loyalty, loyalty will only tell me what a customer purchases, but it won't tell me where a customer has been, where there's abandoned baskets, where there's lost sales, or more or less the equivalent information that you would get through analytics on Google and Amazon combined. Yeah, and is it possible to do that from a bricks and mortar setting? Yeah, again, depending on the technology within the existing store, we can leverage either location data from a mobile device or with Wi-Fi. I don't know if people are aware, but your phone probes out every 30 seconds and gives me your long lot coordinate. So if the correct infrastructure is in place, we can analyze a customer's movement around the store. And a bit like loyalty, if we get you to interact with the system and purchase something at the tills, we can then obviously be in GDPR compliant, link the customer to the transaction at the till. And from the till transactional history, we can link what you buy, when you buy, how often you buy it, similar to any loyalty platform. But the big difference is that we can actually deliver those offers direct to you in store. So if you compare, okay. sorry, go ahead, Karen. No, go ahead. I, I suppose I'm just trying to think, you'd mentioned this is GDPR compliant. So just my own understanding, I'm trying to think, is this tracked to an ind- an individual or more um, a customer persona? We, we can do it with anonymous data. So without knowing who your phone belongs to, we can actually track and trace almost 85% of phones inside a physical building. And that would be anonymous tracking, but would help suppliers with product placement, uh, persona mapping, and busier and quieter areas in the store. So we also use that for the ability to book a slot in store or to actually find out how busy a store is in near real time, particularly with the impact of COVID. Uh, But what we do is we incentivize the behavior of the customer and we reward you uh, for giving us your data. So it's done in a GDPR compliant manner where you opt in and you give your permissions and everything is permissions based. Okay. And um, so you you probably have a good overview here of being able to look at uh, trends in terms of data. You know, are people becoming more aware of how valuable their data is and how important it is to protect it? Or do you think that people are still giving data in exchange for sometimes reasonably small incentives. You know, like, is that our consumer behavior shifting in that regard? I think it's it's probably around age as well. I think most of the younger uh, population are actually given their data, I'm not say away free, but they're quite happy to give their data away with the correct incentives. I think you've also got to think about what data you have and what data you're actually giving away. So at the moment, most of the location data is already held by your phone supplier. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of your payments and purchases are already held by your card supplier. And even everything we put in WhatsApp or chat or phone is recorded by the vendor that's running the platform. So I think we've got to be careful when we talk about data and what we're giving away and what we're doing to incentivize that. I think the big difference with Limitless is we tell you what information we're looking from you and then we reward you for giving us that information. And obviously, if you do want to give us the information, then you don't have to opt in to the offers. So it's pretty straightforward. 
Yeah, you know, Gary, I, uh, maybe it's just that this conversation is becoming a little more public um, after the launch of um, uh, the Social Dilemma docuseries on Netflix. But it just feels like um, a conversation that was happening quietly maybe for a couple of years has now become you know, really quite a loud conversation. Have you seen that docuseries yourself? I, I have, and, and I think probably it was very, very good, but probably one thing that threw it into the, the melee or the mindstorm was Cambridge Analytics. and the whole, yeah. I, I think that was probably the big one for me. But again, if you if you talk to most people, like whether people have my first name or not, that's really not going to matter to me. I think whether they have my gender or age bracket isn't really that personal. Uh, apart from that, I, I don't want to share probably my photographs. I don't want to share my bank account details. And I think there's different levels in terms of what's acceptable and and what's not permissible. Uh, and I think obviously with everything being very compliant, it's, it's down to the consumer um, and each consumer is different. Okay. And well, I suppose let's, you know, we talk a lot about data and sometimes it's good not just to get specific about what data is being collected and what that actually is. Um, and, you know, the conversation moves to how it's being used. But I'm particularly interested in how is it being used to the benefit uh, of retailers? So can you give me an example um, of how information can actually, uh, you know, how information can actually be used to maybe influence purchasing decisions and how it's used then maybe to, to throughout retail strategies um, to increase profits. You know, do, do we have any working examples? Yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a considerable amount. Of, if you consider at the minute, most uh, retailers, particularly within the island of Ireland, still use uh, paper advertising. Uh, and those mm-hmm. that have moved digital have just moved the paper process on the digital platform and can't actually see transparency in their marketing. So with the likes of paper uh, coupons, you don't know who's redeeming the coupon. You don't know what they're interested in. And therefore, people get the brochures to their door. And most of them, probably 97% of them, end up in the bin along with the Aldi or the little or the super value brochures. By actually mm-hmm. finding out what consumers buy and what they're interested in, you can now actually deliver personal relevant offers direct to their phone so that you know on a Thursday night that Carol might come in and buy a bottle of Villa Maria. So this week we're going to give her three pound off. Uh, that would definitely that, work. Yeah, for Carol. no, without a doubt. And the same thing, if I know, hopefully with the rugby coming back on, whether it's it's Budweiser, Heineken or or rock sure that I'm going to get a discount when I go into the off-license on a Friday night. That really works for me. And I think the fact that you can give personal relevant offers and you can also track redemption in store. So what I was saying is a lot of marketing companies move paper coupons onto online and the retailers pan for click or pan per view. And it's not actually mm-hmm. getting any real value out of it, whereas our system allows you to see who opened it, who clicked on it, and who actually came in the store to redeem it. So I think that that is really, really good for the retailer. From a consumer point of view, then you're also getting offers that you're likely to engage with. So the engagement rates are up above 70 or 80%, which means retailers can then be careful about the margin they actually give away. And even simple things like a simple login to the Wi-Fi will also allow you to check 
from a consumer point of view and see how many people are not just in the physical store, but are in each department. So if you want to go to a particular department and the total numbers in the store are above the COVID rate in terms of the maximum capacity, they could all be sitting in the cafe or restaurant area, whereas you might just want to nip into fruit and veg and nip back out again. So what our system does is it allows you to see that in each department. Uh, so there's there's a number of nuances, and at the minute, I think retailers are probably scrambling around and picking up different systems, and, and it's a bit like their internal systems. They're probably disparate. They're on legacy systems, and they don't have full traceability. Whereas with our system, once we even sell a product through the tills, we can notify the supplier and get that product brought into store so that you don't have lost deals, you don't have out of stocks, you don't have abandoned baskets. So I think if retailers look at their their whole business with live data, they can actually make much more informed decisions. Yeah, one of the key things uh, there that you're touching on that I, I think it's important to highlight is, you know, we know that um, a number of these uh, solutions maybe have been in use and employed almost independently, whereas actually the real benefit is uh, because we see it across PropTech for uh, whether it's on a construction site or in a facilities management, um, managing a, an office block. You know, the real the real benefit is when you these solutions all come together and and feed into one. So you're actually getting one source of intelligent data as opposed to, you know, people trying to work off uh, seven different dashboards or have different things that don't connect well. You know, this this coming together of solutions feels to me like the next wave of technology across um, the built environment. Um, you know, and we haven't discussed this on the show in terms of retail and possibly because we know that retail has been under so much pressure in 2020. Now, you're actually, you know, feeding into this sector. So from your perspective, you know, what are your clients, how are your clients managing over the last number of months? I think um, you've touched on a good point there in terms of the ability to pull all of the data into one location. And I think a lot of retailers are moving in that direction. And, and I would say that we're working as well in quite a bit of place technology. So the ability mm-hmm. to pull all of the data streams into one platform is really what Limitless does. The fact that it's location or the fact that it's EPOS or CRM or loyalty means that we can get a total view on the business. So I think that's where the big difference will come for all retailers and PropTech as well. Uh, because at the minute they look for a system and go out and buy it and don't really realize what impact it has. If they look for a, a BI system, they go out and buy Power BI or Tableau and don't really know what they want to use it for. Whereas with our system, we sit down and customize that for the retailer and our prop tech company and look at their pain points. So unless we're solving pain points and unless we're adding value, we're not doing anything for the retail sector. And I think at the minute, most companies, no matter actually probably the bigger they get, the worse they get, they work in silos and one one person in the business doesn't know what the other person's doing. I think the ability mm-hmm. to give everyone in the business the same insight with the live view um, is a move that I would see increasing over the next couple of years. And hopefully we're at the forefront of that. Yeah, I, look, addressing pain points, 
am I correct in making the assumption that the pain points you might have been addressing in January were very different to the pain points you would have been addressing in April? And perhaps as we come into Halloween and then into the Christmas season, you know, can your company adapt to really how quickly the pain points for retailers yeah, are I think changing? The, the fact that our platform obviously is a data platform, the fact that it's built with open APIs and microservices mean that we can shift it from a marketing platform where we're sending out promotions and personalized offers to a system that you can actually book a slot in the store. So again, with the Irish weather uh, and winter coming and Halloween coming, how many people are going to stand outside stores? So the fact that we can actually book a slot, the fact that we can treat our VIP customers much better than, than someone who's just rocked up to the store. And also, even if you look at the volume that goes through a store at Christmas, the physical stores won't be able to cope with the volume this year in a COVID-compliant manner. So the ability to start mm -hmm. selling ambient grocery probably on the early part of December and leaving your fresh foods towards the end. But again, the three days before Christmas, you have maybe three weeks volume. And at this stage, most retailers haven't started to look at how they manage the queues. And although a lot of guys have picked up a queue app uh, called Quidney, it's not actually a holistic function and it's not collecting the information when a customer logs in online and it's not collecting the information when a customer arrives in store. And certainly it's solving a short-term problem of managing a queue, but most retailers jump at these technologies and panic instead of sitting down and having a plan and saying, where are we going with our business? And I think that's broadly true even with place technology who have jumped on camera technology for monitoring temperature. However, temperature doesn't mm -hmm. really tell if you have COVID or not. Uh, so they, they think they're doing something right, but they're not looking at where the real issue is. So I, I think. Yeah. I, I, do, you, do you not think, though, there's a there's an element here of, of uh, perfect being the enemy of done? You know, the, the circumstances are changing day to day and sometimes hour to hour. So it is a case of doing the best you can with what you have, because um, a lot of tech adoption over the last number of months, not just for retail, but for a lot of the, the built environment um, has been very need driven and um you know, it, things, solutions needed instantly. So maybe there wasn't the time to research. There wasn't the time, um, you know, to to maybe do it in a more strategic way that would tie into the overall um, strategy, brand strategy, tech strategy, um, business development that an organization might have. You know, is it is it realistic that we can get people to a level where, you know, like between now and Christmas, do you think it's it's reasonable? Can retailers actually put a system in place like this um, ready to deal with the with the Christmas shopping, which, as we know from the queues outside uh, Smith's Toys and, and other places that have been heavily uh, shown in the media, you know, that's already started Will will retailers be able to employ this? Will they have the money to employ this? Are these expensive systems? To be honest with you, Carol, they're not because most of the retailers already have the infrastructure in place. And from our perspective, okay. uh, well, I know our platform is relatively cheap in terms of retail terms and we can deploy uh, on a live platform almost immediately. But the fact that retailers, and, and again, I, I think this is where they should all come together, 
if they have a problem, they go out and get something that solves that solution, but they're not looking at the bigger picture. And if you look at most retailers, the tech is out there. So the solutions are out there. And, and I've talked to you before about whether it's Buy Me or Gusto or, or any of the other platforms that, that do specific functions really, really well. And I think sometimes retailers mm-hmm. just jump in and pick something off the shelf that doesn't solve their problem. And therefore, you end up with a load of disparate systems and it actually makes their problems even bigger. Whereas if they had something like a retail lab and they said, guys, look, this is our problem. We need a platform that can do X, Y, and Z and let the tech companies come back with the solution. And that'll be driven by cost. It'll be driven by functionality and it'll be driven by the reaction to get it into store. But at the moment, for most retailers in Ireland, we can plug and play in an afternoon. Okay, that's a really interesting concept, Gary, kind of a, a retail tech lab. Um, you know, are you talking about maybe um, almost, cent- well, uh, shared or collaborative problem solving that, you know, individual organizations might feed into and be in a position to um, maybe share yeah, solutions? Yeah, I, I think there, there's quite a lot of uh, common problems for retailers. So, you know, the ability mm-hmm. to... For a supplier like Unilever or Coca-Cola or, or any of the bigger brands to have live data to show them what's selling in stores. And believe it or not, most of that is available, but retailers and suppliers don't share the data. If you look at solutions that will bring in, I, I've looked at a number of video analytics platforms that can actually do everything on digital and change the mix from a skirt and uh, a blouse in summer to a raincoat and an umbrella in winter with the same video. So there's quite a lot of great solutions out there that most like the likes of fashion retailers could use, but they're not using, which would save mm-hmm. them a lot of time on content, which would save them a lot of time on a content library. And even that brings in the whole spend with marketing in terms of how do you know what you're spending online is actually delivering in store. And apart from the limitless system, I can't see any other platform that takes that uh, platform from redemption right through into store level redemption. And I think retailers have similar problems, whether it's logistics, whether it's supply chain, whether it's looking for new products or new tech. And something like a retail lab would work really, really well. And, And particularly if you look at the data platform, most retailers and most suppliers have the same problem. They have too much data. And as a matter of fact, they're probably drowning in data. But they don't know what to do. And they don't know how. But is there still an element where uh, this data is seen as almost uh, a liability because of the regulatory uh, framework around it now? Is data seen as a liability uh, and maybe not put to work for the resource that it is? I think people are really weary, and particularly when the, the data... Uh, Enforcement officers have got into it, and, and recently there's been quite a lot of companies fined. Mm. But if you're starting off on a new platform where everything is compliant and the data you capture is done with permissions, then there's nothing really to be afraid of with data. It's a case of uh, making sure it's done in a correct way and in a compliant manner. And from that, you would actually get real value from your data. Okay. Um, Gary, I, I think it's a really interesting time to be 
solving problems for the retail sector. And the, the concept of a retail lab is a really interesting one. So, um, you know, maybe if there's any retailers or retail landlords, um, you know, that that would be interested, they might reach out to you directly, you know, obviously interested and with deep pockets, uh, maybe to reach out to you directly, because I think that's a really interesting concept and it might be the, the type of incubation hub we need for future solutions. And we see this happening across lots of other sectors. So there's no reason well, why it couldn't happen I, for that, retail. That's one of those questions where I, yeah. I probably can't answer, but just say that there is something being announced shortly. Uh, and, and it, okay, and it I is, look forward to listening. It, I look forward in to Dublin. listening in for uh, that. It, it is in and around the Keys, and that's all I'll say. But definitely would be interested in talking to retailers would be interested in talking to landlords who lease out to retailers because I think the model with a base level rent and sales rent on top is going to become prevalent in Ireland. And We're seeing yeah, that across and, the And our UK platform the allows you to drill right down into line item data or find out which departments are working. Uh, I think even utilizing space in a much better way. So I think in, in Edinburgh at the minute, you have the likes of uh, Sweaty Betty coming together with Peloton. You have Soul Cycle coming in as an experience. You have maybe the likes of Dunn Stores yeah. looking at creating a, a live marketing event so that they can actually capture most of their data for promotions, but at the same time reward their, their, their customers. So I think there's a lot of things that will create experience within a landlord environment and will drive volume, people and experience, which helps both landlord and retailer. So I, I think if there was a way of pulling the, the property side in with the retailer in a transparent manner, then it's a win-win for both. Yeah, that, that sounds like a particularly interesting one. Gary, remind people again of your contact details. Uh, so the company name people. is Limitless Insights. Uh, my email address is gary at limitlessinsight.com and the web page is limitlessinsight.com as well. So I'd love to hear from anyone within the property sector and obviously within the retail suppliers and brands. Super. And I hope that you'll return to the show and talk to us about the, the thing that you can't talk to us about today. <laughs> and I, hopefully you'll come back and speak to us about that in the future, because, again, this is a really interesting uh, time to be working uh, and providing tech solutions in this sector so we absolutely want to follow the progress and see how that plays out and um, so that was Gary McDonald from Limitless Insight thank you again for joining us today and that's it from us uh, this week so thank you all for listening in to Property Matters on Dublin South FM as always you can get in contact with the show on social media at iPropertyRadio or by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com also my thanks to Peter Rice on Sound and show producer Katie Tallon of Hear Me Roar Media we're back at the same time next week from myself, Carol Tallon, and all the team here, stay safe. Mm-hmm.